We proceed with the consideration of various objections that have been raised on the truthfulness and accuracy of the Bible record in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? The authors of the Bible made profound claims. They were sincere and honest men, endeavoring to serve God with all their hearts. They recorded the fact that God spoke to them of the profound things of eternity, and that their assignment was not that of mere historical detail, nor mere scientific presentation, but was to record the thoughts concerning God relative to the most important matter as to how man could be reconciled back to God again. After the fall of man, an impossible barrier arose between God and man. Man had refused to properly respect God and had withdrawn himself from that attitude apart from which it was impossible that God could bless man with his abundant present. So the Bible proposes to be a record of redemption or as to how man can again be brought back into fellowship with God and be forgiven of his sins. Therefore, we must come to this wonderful book that has existed down through the centuries in spite of the persistent efforts of its enemies to destroy it. We must come to it in an attitude of reverence, in an attitude of humility, realizing that we are to learn from it the blessed truths of life, the most important things that we can dwell upon. Most of these objections have arisen because of a critical and destructive attitude. There have been multitudes who have wanted to dispose of the Bible because it testifies against their way of sin and disturbs their complacency that someday they will have to give an account to the great God of the universe. So we come to another classification of the various objections as relating to this. Men of science and astronomy think they find numerous errors in the Bible relating to scientific discoveries and theories. Let us be reminded at the outset that scientific theory has varied greatly from time to time. And the question arises as to whether there are not accepted hypotheses at the present time on scientific matters which will not endure a generation before being modified in some important sense. The Bible is not intended to be a textbook on science, nor a record of the history of the world. It has been given for reasons far more important than these. It is a textbook on the principles and history of man's redemption, and answers the question, how may sinful man be reconciled to God and again be the recipient of his great bounty of spiritual blessings that the great and good God has planned for man to always partake of. When God called Abraham with the declared purpose of forming a nation that would be obedient to his will, it was for the express purpose, we are told, that in thee all the families of the earth be blessed, as we read in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. 
This expresses the whole benevolent purpose of the giving of the Bible. All else is of secondary importance. God has been more interested that men become spiritual giants than he has that they become scientific giants. Back in Genesis 4, verses 16 to 22, it is mentioned that the first murderer, Cain, and his descendants, who appeared to have continued in his ungodliness, became materialistic and concentrated on scientific things. They built a city and became specialists in various endeavors. Doubtless, many discoveries were made as they became mighty in their endeavors, but God did not consider them important enough to cause them to be recorded and passed on to his posterity. But when Enoch was willing to walk with God over 300 years, that was of profound importance and found a detailed place in the Bible record, along with his miraculous translation, to spare him from normal death. Nevertheless, the Bible cannot be divinely inspired and at the same time contain positive scientific contradictions. While it was not the purpose of God to lead his chosen servants into these profound scientific mysteries, inspiration must guarantee that the Bible writers be prevented from misstatements that would someday contradict man's permitted discoveries in the realm of science. But again, we cannot emphasize too strongly that the Bible must not be made to teach what it actually does not. What it says must be viewed as common, ordinary people would understand it to say. Many times poetical expressions are used, as we frequently use them today, and these must not be modified accordingly to arrive at their strict meaning. For example, a certain highly educated and prominent pastor almost weakly refers to the four corners of the earth in his broadcasts to represent the universality of the gospel and his missionary vision. But no one attributes to his well-trained mind the belief that the earth is flat. Poetical expressions must be received as such and tempered accordingly. But when positive revelations of fact are given, they are to be weighed accordingly also. Of course, the simple descriptions of the great creative operations described in the early chapters of Genesis will directly conflict with happenstance or directive evolutionary hypotheses. But how profound is the Bible in its simplicity? Granting a God greater than the vast physical universe, there is nothing unnatural or impossible about the elementary creation account given in the Bible. But if a specific scientific error is going to be proved from the Bible, the following four things must be demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt. First, it must be demonstrated that these supposed errors are in the original autograph manuscripts, 
which we do not now have. Our present copies may have some small errors of transmission which do not affect our spiritual state and welfare. So we understand that there were no processes of printing and whatever copies were made of the Bible were made by dictation and by a private individual writing or copying. And so it was entirely possible that some minor variations could creep into the text. So if we're going to insist that there were scientific errors, we must ascertain first of all that these were not corrupted in the process of transmission. It must be established second that these theories of science reportedly contradicted by the Bible are real scientific facts and not merely hypotheses which may soon change. In the third place, it must be proved that the Bible cannot be otherwise interpreted so that it will not contradict scientific reality. This is often the simple explanation of any problem. Fourthly, it must be demonstrated that science and the Bible are actually in conflict with one another. For example, it is said that the Bible indicates that every present animal variation was so created, while science demonstrates a crossing of the species. But the Bible affirms only that the basic kinds of animal life were created, which leaves room for the development of many variations within the given order or kind. Science has not been able to show that basic kinds of animal life have been crossed successfully. Thus the Bible is relieved of supposed difficulty by a consideration of what is actually stated therein. How we need to read the Bible for what it actually says and not impute to it something that it does not say. Thus many have come to the Bible with a critical and destructive attitude and have found fault with it when actually there is no such real problem in existence. And if we postulate the great God that the Bible obviously presents, then indeed he is great enough to create all the wonders of our existence. And how profound and how evident is the proof of God's careful design and product creation. As we consider all the mysteries of our great universe, what could be simpler than to affirm the positive statements of the Bible? But further, there are a class of difficulties that relate to chronology or periods of history. It is not that the system of chronology found in the Bible has not been confirmed by historical and archaeological studies, but that some exact dates are uncertain due to the fact that the people cared little for the calendar methods of reckoning, but dated things from prominent events that took place. Some of these important events are still uncertain as to exact dates. For example, a king may be crowned while his father was still living, as it was with Solomon. Thus, when Solomon's reign is spoken of as of 40 years duration, and David's also of 40 years, we cannot be sure whether Solomon reigned 40 years altogether 
or 40 years after David's death. But ignorance of such specific dates does not make out a contradiction in the Bible text. We refer also to genealogies, which are often arranged to aid memorizing and simplified by omission of the descendants of lesser importance. Someone is spoken of as a son of another, whereas in reality he was a grandson, or perhaps several links in the family tree were omitted. This was customary among Oriental peoples and was so understood. Then sometimes lines of descent were traced by different branches of a family which were later reunited in marriage. The husband could take the wife's place in the genealogy and the reverse. In view of certain indefinitenesses in such procedures, positive contradictions could not be established until we have further information. In the meantime, the Bible should not be so charged in the face of its profound character and the many obscure Bible passages that have been illumined by the discoveries of archaeology during the last half century. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the existence of Thy Word, the Bible. We thank Thee for its frank testimonies, setting forth sin as it really is, and giving us a history of Thy great efforts to redeem man back to Thyself. Now we pray that many may turn to reverence Thy Word, may repent of sin, by faith in Christ be forgiven, and be reconciled to Thee. In Jesus' name, amen.